0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld and by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz.
1: Shabbat Shalom. I'm going to give a, pref- a very brief prefatory remark before we actually jump into the learning. Perhaps more than any other time in my career, this is now my 21st year in the rabbinate, rabbis have to make a pretty conscientious decision hopefully with wisdom and a sense of artfulness that will not be agreed upon by everyone to whom they're speaking to as to when to let the headlines inform, guide, demand addressing from the Bhima and when to let Shul be a refuge from everything that is out there. Because of the moments we're living through in this country and because of the ways in which we are just exposed to it differently than in a pre- Digital era, you can make a good argument. You really could. That every word out of a rabbi's mouth, out of a religious leader's mouth when speaking to a flock, could be, should be, must be speaking to this American moment. That is a reasonable argument. The words of our tradition are supposed to speak to our consciences and speak to reality. And I understand both sides of the argument about whether or not the Torah is a political document. On the one hand, we believe our tradition to transcend partisan politics and transcend nationhood. But of course, it was a political document in the sense that it was always wielded to, to, in order to create a better and more merciful, more just polity, more just society. Which means that we could spend every Shabbat drash, every Shabbat video, certainly the ones surrounding momentous moments in our country like we live through today, speaking to them. And we're not. We're not going to do that every time. Not because we don't think it's important, not because we don't think the Torah has something to say about it, but because we also think that the Torah has merit lishma for its own sake. And most of the time, more interested we are in telling you what the Torah says about any particular moment happening outside our windows. We want to infuse your life with the words and the values of Torah, and then have you live them out and act them out based on how your neshama understands them i really do believe that most of the time that's a rabbi's role as a translator of the tradition so there's a lot swirling in our society right now there's a lot broken there's a lot of fear there's a lot that's momentous and it will be waiting for us after musaf for now we're going to study some torah now It's impossible not to make some of the connections in one's mind between the text that we're studying and what's happening out there and have at it. We we intend this as a conversation. This is a good old-fashioned Beitenu text study as opposed to a more direct rabbinic sermon. We're going to share some ideas. And if there are things that we're speaking about that to you speak to this moment, let us hear them. But we want to make it very clear that our primary intention is to teach the tradition today. Right? Um, and to share with you things that are percolating for us as we hear the Torah's uh, grand voice and divine inspiration. Okay, that's the prefatory remark. There was a text sheet that was shared in the Shabbat email. You may have it in front of you, either digitally or on paper, if you've printed it out. <clears throat> And it begins with a, an expanded conversation, or we're going to have an expanded conversation of something that I wrote very briefly about this past Shabbat in the uh, Jewish Journal's Table for Five, right? That's the 250-word little Dvar Torah that uh, five different teachers, rabbis, um, and educators are asked to write each week. So it's actually, I love the assignment because it's hard to be brief, but it's good <laughs> to be brief because it means that you're choosing your words very carefully. And in that taste, for, taste uh, Table for Five, I spoke about the profound moral challenge that hovers over the entire Exodus story, particularly as we want to read the story informed by, inspired by, devoted to a God that we want to believe is a benevolent God, a just God, a compassionate God, for pounding the Egyptians, not only for their earned sins of oppressing the Israelites, fine, that's justice, but pounding the Egyptians and pounding Pharaoh for a sin that seems to have been forced by God's own hand. The playfulness back and forth within the plagues of who is responsible for hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's, it's playful in the language, but it's, it's profound in how it challenges us. We do not want to think of our God as a malicious master of marionettes forcing us to do X and then punishing us for X. In the same way, it would be meaningless for us to imagine a God forcing us to do Y and then rewarding us for having done Y. It robs humanity from a sense of free will and it robs us of the ability to see justice meted out when it is due as opposed to when it meted out willy-nilly by a puppeteer. And it's impossible to read these texts without lingering in that. So, the way in we're going to be um, is chapter 9 of the book of Exodus, verse 35. I don't have the chumash right in front of me. If someone has a, um, a page number for that. Chapter, think... chapter 9 of Exodus, verse 35. It's within Parshat Va'era. And it's in the, at the top of the text sheet that we shared with you. But I'll do every text out loud to make sure that even if you don't have it in front of you, you can follow along. Va'yechazak lev paro. I could spend an hour on that phrase because you know I love grammar. Chazak, chet, zayin, kuf, is an interesting verb. Grammatically, it's called a stative verb in the sense that it, it, it represents a state of being more than it's an action item. And the form of this is interesting. The subject of vaye is not Pharaoh and it's not God. It's lev paro, the heart of Pharaoh, so the heart of Pharaoh, is so hard to translate in English, got strong, got hard, hardened itself. It's not reflexive. It's not vayit It strengthened itself. I gave you two translations amongst the many you could have. I, I wonder if uh, Larry and Diane have the, um, have the um, Arya, Ka- Arya Kaplan translation in front of them. The JPS translation is so, fer- so Pharaoh's heart stiffened. Pretty good. Because the subject is Pharaoh's heart, and vayechazak became hard, became stiff, stiffened, and veloshi lache bnei Israel he would not send away the Israelites. Moshe. This is a part we're going to get to later. Just as God had spoken to, God had spoken through the hand of Moshe. God had predicted this hardening. That's a moral problem. It's a moral problem to imagine that God knew this was going to happen, and even more of a moral problem if God was part of it happening. Everett Fox, who has one of the most beautiful translations of the Torah, uh, does something sweet here or interesting. Pharaoh's heart, so he agrees that Pharaoh's heart is the subject, remained strong-willed. I love that as a translation of Vayechazak, suggesting that it's not that something happened in that moment, but something continued. It continued to be closed off to the notion of compassion. And he did not send the children of Israel free, as uh, Everfox always transliterates Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh, as Y-H-W-H, as God had spoken through Moshe. Okay. So again, we have several issues in the verse. One, what was actually happening in this hardening moment? And two, what is God's role? And two, A, is... How much of this did God know was going to happen in advance? I want to start, I want to uh, bring you two sources. And again, this is not a lecture. This is, I know it's hard on Zoom, but please interrupt me. Raise your hand. Uh, For those of you who are in my Rashi class, do it that way. Like, let me know you want to say something. I I, I have much to say, but I do not want this to be only me today. I want to read the commentary of Rabbi Avadio Sforno, a 15th century uh, Italian commentator. And then a, uh, sorry, earlier than Sforno, but a rather late Midrashah collection, hear some of your reactions to it, and then pass it along to Rabbi Schatz. Rabbi Sforno says something very subtle here, and I want your help. I, I, I mean that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I think I understand what he's saying, but I want your help in drawing out what's the significance of his commentary and what he's, what he's troubled by in our verse and how he's resolving it. Vayechazak leif paro. Pharaoh's heart hardened or stiffened, however you want to translate it. Lo me'atsmo. Not on its own. Already Sforno is saying here that there's a dynamic happening. This is not just a human being feeling stubborn. It is a human being expressing stubbornness, but it's not just that he happened on its own. Aval, uh, but. Ka-asher de, and by the way, if uh, there's a Hebrew and, and uh, English here. Um, this it was a short friday the english is the english of the sforno as presented on safaria it is not my translation i only realized after i um i, I share the document that the english here is a it's a um what's the word it's not an exact translation Sorry. so it's a summary, it's a, I'm missing another word. So I'm going to translate the Hebrew directly. The English gets pretty close to it, but if you know Hebrew and you're wondering why they don't match up, whoever gave this one out is trying to give a sense of what Sforno said, but it's not a word-by-word translation. I'm going to add emphasis. Just as God had spoken, biad Moshe through the hand of Moshe, to Moshe, before Aaron got connected to Moses in this act. You might know the, you may not know the word siref like that, but you might know the word lehitz taref. Lehitz taref is to join, to join oneself. So tsari resh means to join. Sha'amarlo, for God had said earlier on in the third chapter of Shemot, this is at the burning bush, which is exactly where we are in our Rashi class. Vaani Adati, God said to Moses, I know, ki I know in advance that the king of Egypt is not going to let yourself go. Now, on the one hand, you could pause and say, that's not God manipulating a human being, that's God knowing a human being. I know this guy wants to hold on to power. I know he's not going to say, oh, you want my free w- workforce to go? Fine, have... Have them go. So you could imagine God at this point saying, I know, I can imagine that this Pharaoh is not going to easily let loose his grip on these reins. And this is now in parentheses Sforno's expl- explanation of that verse. I know that he is not going to let you guys go of his own will. Now back to the quote from the verse at the burning bush. It's a very interesting addition. If you're just studying, studying that verse, you could ask the question, what, did the, what does the phrase, and not via a strong hand, add to the phrase, I know that he will not let you go? I want to ask you that question before we see Sforno's answer. Just imagine you're studying the third chapter of Shemot, verse 19, which our Rashi class will get to in, oh, I don't know, how long we're on verse 4 now. How long will it take us <laughs> to get 15 verses? Maybe a year and a half. Um, what does it add when God said to Moses, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go, comma, and not via a strong hand. What does the phrase, and not via a strong hand, add, To God's statement, who's got a thought? Is anyone's hand up? I can't tell. Not yet. I know you have thoughts. (laughs) I just want you to share them. I should keep going. Karen, bavakasha. You can't unmute.
2: Yeah, now.
1: Yeah, Yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. So, what does that add?
2: Well, if he's not doing it voluntarily, who's doing it? Pharaoh is. Say say more. Let let them go. uh, by his own will, I'm going to intervene. It seems like God is.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. But, okay, so I'm with you on like the general understanding of the story, Karen. What I'm having a hard time understanding is what the word velo and not means in this verse. Because again, what the verse is saying is, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, comma, and not by means of a strong hand. If it said, by means of a strong hand you could read it as i know he's not not going to let you go therefore i'm going to give you my strong hand but what's the and not by means of a strong hand other possibilities i see tamar and then i see jen and then i see jeff tamar jen jeff
3: kenji if it's easier for you at this point to
4: just let people unmute we can do that
1: yeah but karen Um, you can now mute again
4: yeah she's muted all right tamar Uh, yes could it could it mean not even with um Many punishments with many inducements.
1: Very interesting. Okay, so uh, probably the easiest shot here is I know that he's not going to let you go, not even if I flex my strong hand. Okay, good. Hold on to that because that will be like adjacent to what Sforno says. Uh, Jen and then Jeff?
0: Uh, I was basically going to say the same thing as Tamar, meaning that the process... I think that what Sforno is talking about, that there has to be a process. So it's not just going to be because I said so, meaning God's strong hand is I said so. So that there is going to be more to what needs to happen for Pharaoh to allow the Israelites to go.
1: Good. So you're actually anticipating Sforno. We haven't even gotten to Sforno's comments on it, but, but that's, that's the direct, what, what you're read, saying is the phrase below Beata Chazakah is, it's not going to be by pure force. I could make it happen Beata Chazakah, right? This is, this is a, a different read than Tamar. Tamar is saying, God is saying, even if I exert brute force, he's not going to change his mind. Another way of reading it is I'm aware that, 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 I could make it happen, but it's not going to happen just by means of my of, of my doing this. Okay, Jeff, and then we'll keep reading for Sforno.
5: So I was thinking maybe it's a change, and God is now addressing Moses on behalf of the people, which is you may think that you can, as a people, revolt, take up arms, and do this on your own, but that's not how it's going to happen.
1: uh good 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 interesting and timely right so you could read that the 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 low chazaka as a wink wink to the people who might try to make this happen on their own he's not going to let you go and even if forget about my flexed arms even if you try to flex your muscles good now let's see what sforno says which is closest um well let's just see what he says what I wish I want to happen, God says this is now Sforno interpreting god 's voice so subtle i don 't want this to happen merely because of pharaoh 's fear of my punishments i could I could I could make him afraid enough on the first go around. And basically force him to do it. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. The association that comes to mind is the, 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 the crazy um, process that happens when, uh, in the Jewish tradition, when a, a husband refuses to give a get to his wife. The tradition says that the one thing that can't happen, even though we want it to happen, is he can't be forced into doing it. can't be. If if the husband is literally forced into doing it, it's called a get ma'us. It's a get against his will. And tragically, it's not valid. You can cajole, you can put pressure, you can induce, you can convince, you can lead them to it. If you force his hand to write it, it's she's not free. It's almost as if God is saying this. I, the one thing I'm not going to do is f- literally force his hand, even though in this situation they would be free, they'd be out. God doesn't want that. Why? According to Sforno. You, this is continuing the previous thought. You khal I don't want it to be out of his fear of my strong hand that he's afraid he will not be able to endure, like that he's about to be threatened with a suffering that's too much. V'chein asa b'zehamakom. That is why hamakom, this is the, uh, the name of God referring to the omnipresent that you often hear in a blessing to someone who's in mourning. The one who is everywhere, therefore, decided to do the following. Ki After Pharaoh continued to sin willingly, intentionally, right? He, he was allowed to keep sinning because God didn't threaten him from the very beginning with the worst thing he could threaten with because God didn't want Pharaoh to let them go simply out of fear of God's punishments. And then Pharaoh's Pharaoh self continued to harden his heart. Almost against his own will. But Pharaoh was doubtful. He was not sure. This is an interesting way of phrasing it. What I think this for no means here is, it's not that Pharaoh was certain he couldn't tolerate the coming decrees. It's almost as like, hmm, frogs was the last one. Could the next one be much worse than that? <laughs> m- m- maybe i w- or or reverse. Frogs, not that bad. Maybe I can stand up to this God. Maybe I can keep hardening my heart. Maybe I, because I have not yet been threatened with Makat b'chorot, the, the death of the firstborn, maybe I can continue to act like a tyrant, because I'm not being forced not to act like a tyrant, because God doesn't want to force the tyrant not to act like the tyrant. God eventually wants the tyrant on some level to recognize the intrinsic punishment of being a tyrant, and therefore maybe become a penitent. (laughs) He strengthened or Hardened his heart in that regard, Asher Diber adonai Biad Moshe, just God had anticipated and ted Moshe. Belibo, Pharaoh put in his heart, Yosef Yosif Odlahakoto, that he would not. Sorry, that Pharaoh decided in his mind that there was nothing more that God could do to him. There's a subtlety here. For some reason. Sforna wants to read God here as wanting to hold back some of his power so that Pharaoh could intermittently delude himself into thinking that he'd eventually be able to be victorious and over time realize he couldn't and start to engage in his own tshuva process as well. This is a choice. Sforna does not have to read in this way. And this is what I hinted at in my shorter uh, table for five. Sforno wants to help us see Pharaoh in a process. I forgot who said the word process originally from tyrant again to penitent, almost as an example of how the worst person in a scene can start recognizing the limits of his or her own power and become to have, begin to have a little bit of remorse, which would not happen if God forced the issue. If God forced the issue on plague one, you would never see an interesting Pharaoh. You would just see a crushed Pharaoh. We want to see a crushed Pharaoh because he's been crushing us. God says the more interesting thing is to see a Pharaoh who slowly begins to realize that his power is ebbing and therefore becomes, believe it or not, a model for recognizing when you are losing authority. That took more time than I thought. Quickly in the Midrash Lekach Tov, this is a 12th century, um, a midrash, a collection of Midrashim written by Tobiah ben Eliezer. What's uh, the thing that's interesting about this Midrash is that uh, nearly every Midrash in this collection begins with a verse that has the word Tov in it because his name was Tovaya Tobiah. And so that was his shtick, that mm. his Midrashim began with verses from the Bible that had the word Tov in it, and he, collected every, he connected it to what he was speaking of in, the real, in real time. And again, he lived in Germany and what's now either southwestern Bulgaria or northeastern Greece. By That uh, that's our verse that the heart of Pharaoh strengthened. in the beginning, meaning earlier on in the plague cycle, it said by paro that it's Pharaoh's heart is strengthening. later on we're gonna get there. God is doing the strengthening. Right? So, or the hardening. I made reference to this in my table for five as well. That in the beginning, it seems that Pharaoh is doing it on his own. It's only later on that God seems to be the puppeteer. This is similar to what was said by Reish Lakish, Rabbi Shimon Ben Lakish, in the Babylonian Talmud, page 104a. Ba litma pot a very hard and inscrutable four word phrase. When somebody comes, ba litma, to do something impure, they open for him, they permit him, they let him. Who is the they? It's unclear, something like the universe, the forces, the angels, God. If someone has intent to do something impure and wrong, no one's stopping him on a spiritual level. Similar to what our Haftorah, today's prophet, said um, in chapter 3, Benatakti michshol Lefanav. That basically, if someone comes, and particularly if a a false prophet comes to do the wrong thing, I, God, will place a stumbling block before him, meaning I'm going to let him trip and fall. Why? So that he learns something from it, rather than just force him into the good. The Omer, and and Yehezkel, Ezekiel says later on, It is I who subdued, not not subdued, um, seduced this prophet, which what this midrash is reading out of context is, I, I let this prophet continue to spew all these falsehoods because it is not my job, says God, to force those doing wrong to do the right. My job is to create a world where those doing wrong eventually see that they have to do something different if they want to do the right. Shekevan Adam achafetz barasha, when a person wishes to do evil, He's allowed to fail from the heavens. Did, a, did the heavens ever reach out to you when you were about to commit a sin? About to say or do something you shouldn't do? No. You're allowed to do it. But, Reish Lakish continues, But when you finally come to do something towards the pure, you're helped. There's a difference between you're permitted and you're helped. The heavens in this fantasy are going to permit you to screw up. But when you finally find the path to the right on your own, that's when God gets involved, gives you a push in the tuchus, and tries to help you help society towards that which is the greater good. Rabbi Schatz?
2: Um, so,
3: Rabbi Kleinfeld, I have a question. Do, do you want to finish the sources that you brought, and I can do mine next week since it will continue as part of our narrative or do you want me to go through mine very quickly since it's already 1205
1: it's a good question i'm basically through my sources the next two sources are just the longer verses from the chapter of ezekiel but, but let's do the following let let me let me see what reactions are because if there are three to four minutes of of reactions from the kahal, I'd rather hear them, and then yeah. I'd love to do part two with you next week. So, okay, okay. Let, let, what does this bring up for for you out there uh, in terms of your understanding of the story, your understanding of the morality that this, that Sforno and Midrash LeKach Tov are dealing with, and if you want, what it's saying about the world and today. Larry, Diane, and then Karen.
5: Perhaps that there are those who are incapable of being not just convinced, but of repentance. And the lesson is that they exist and they are the ones for whom only through force can we actually accomplish anything good at all.
1: Yeah. Good. So, so what I infer from your statement is that the preferred way in God's world is for it not to, to result in that or not to end up in that the preferred way is for the light to be seen by people's own recognition of the natural consequences of the, of their cruelty or their nefariousness. But, but, but if they don't, then eventually there's a 10th plague. Is that, is that basic?
5: Not only the preferred way, I don't want to teach you the lesson God is saying that you can get something by force or you should get something by force. Uh-huh. Because that would be even more disastrous. Because then both the evildoer and the one who is trying to resolve or improve the situation end up doing evil by force. You you must you must first try to convince in some way, and only after. And here we have ten examples. Yeah, ten times maybe you could even say you have to go to the. You have to go to the center 10 times to get them to repent. And only after 10 opportunities are you allowed then to to use the ultimate force and say, okay, away with you. There's nothing to be done.
1: That's a great read of Sforno. It's a great commentary on Sforno's commentary. Um, it seems to be like the medieval commentaries version of the, of the witticism that ends with God saying, I sent you the, 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 the car, the canoe, and Mm -hmm. the the airplane. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're having, Sforno's having a sea god as begging Pharaoh to do his own Shuva. Like, I, I, I'm, I could end you, Pharaoh, but I'm not. I'm actually allowing for more oppression to happen so that maybe you can, you can show that you're willing to learn something. You did it? Okay, 10th plague. Um, Karen, and then Norm, and then Rabbi Susan Lemley.
2: I think maybe I misunderstood you because when you said, when we read about allow, allowing Pharaoh to be penitent, he wasn't. He didn't he didn't say oh I'm so look what I've done to these people and I'm so sorry blah 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 it was I don't want to say it you God but yep. you know you didn't do it I mean go ahead give me give me the next shot.
4: right so right. it's
2: not I don't see how he came to his own like Larry was saying it's almost like okay you didn't this time too fine now yeah. I'm, now I'm really gonna show you Right.
1: If, yeah. if, if if we did a true slow read through these verses, it's possible to see that in reaction to these smaller plagues, that you have Pharaoh reconsidering his position. There seems to be a willingness and, the, and then a stiffening like he there is a dynamic. He is doing a bit of both. Now, is he only doing it because he wants to, like, appease the, the, the one who's punishing him and just get rid of the plague? Or is he saying, oh, may, may, maybe I should rethink my ways here. No, I'm not willing to do so. So it is actually Sforno is getting so, this from somewhere. It is possible to see Pharaoh as trying to make sense of whether or not his way in the world is workable. Right. Um,
2: forgive me for saying Pharaoh is a narcissist. Just saying, and he has a lot of power and he's not giving it up. And he's not going to say, you have more than I have.
1: I forgive you. I pardon you.
2: Okay. Thank you.
1: Uh, Norm and then Rabbi Susan Limley.
3: I'm inclined to feel that God could see what was happening to Pharaoh much more easily. And he probably, you know, expended time and effort on, you know, maybe eight more plagues than he needed to, maybe nine. And that um, was it worth it to try and get Pharaoh to repent for for us to have to suffer
1: increasingly and longer before we finally were liberated? I, I question God about that based on Sforna. Good. Right. So what Sforno exposes in his commentary is that very critique norm, right? That if that's God's uber methodology to try to, to kind of nudge Pharaoh into being somehow a model for penitence, there is suffering and death as a result of that trial. And that's, and that's hard to live with. So I, I, you, you, it's very astute of you to sort of critique, not critique Sforno, but critique the implication of Sforno's read of the story. Good. Rabbi Susan?
3: I like very much your idea that um, when we go to do something wrong, God won't jump in to keep us from doing it. But when we go to do something right, there'll be some lift. Yeah. And I think that conforms in a way with my experience that when you go and you do something right or you, you, it, often typically makes you feel good. You feel at home, you feel harmonious. I would suggest, and actually conforms with my experience I have had during this pandemic, that um, when it's, se- it's not exactly the same thing, but when it seems like all is dreadful, I get some sense that underneath it all, there is something that will turn it around. Eventually, that eventual turnaround is is God.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for that. So uh, you said you like my read of that. You're liking Lakish's read of that, and Akish, um he he's saying something stronger than the more pariv and witty and banal expression of a similar idea in Perkei Avot. In Perkei Avot, it says mitzvah it mitzvah. If you do a mitzvah, it's gonna lead you to do another one, and if you do a, a transgression, you're going to be led in that direction. Right? Like Basically, every step increases the chances of the next step, right? and, that, and, and there is a habituation to our behaviors. What Rachel Akish is saying, yeah, but I at least want to believe or fantasize about a world that there's more from the heavens pulling me towards the good. I'll, I will be permitted to trod the path of the bad, but if I finally get on the path towards the good, that 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 God the God is with me and that's that's stronger than Avot. Um oh. Joanna, sorry. Okay, so Joanna, then Gabriella, and then we're going to end. And I'm sorry, we're not going to time for everybody.
0: This discussion is taking me to another piece of this week's parsha to um, other people who didn't listen to Moshe, which is um, B'nai Yisrael. There's a description of. B'nai Yisrael not being able to listen to Moshe because, interestingly, from a physical body description to a spiritual because of their kotzer ruach, because of their short spirit. And it's, this isn't a fully formulated thought yet, but like the comparison of when you either can't or won't listen to God and what the difference is there. And what is it that we draw from here? Because we too were in Mitzrayim because we were being punished by God. So how do we compare and contrast this in terms of the redemption, doing um, some sense of tshuva and some sense of when we no longer have this state of kotzeruach, what does that mean for our relationship with God?
1: Yeah, great. I'm going I'm to leave that as, a, a, as an unanswered question, but a wonderful near coda to this conversation. Thank you for that. Uh, Gabriella.
6: Yeah, I um, wanted to ask you. I, I'm a little confused because, on the one hand, you're saying that somehow God—I mean Pharaoh—relented and let his people, let our people go, but he didn't really. Uh, I mean, he sent the chariots after us, so he never really relented. It yeah. was just that we that that Hashem uh, defeated him and allowed us to go through the dead uh, through the uh, sea of reeds
1: right right so so even after even after the, the process that larry was talking about before of waiting to see if pharaoh would come to this on his own through smaller punishments and then god actually flexing the large muscles and bringing out the big tanks for the 10th plague even then pharaoh is basically showing don't 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 look to me as your idol, as your as your, as your model of of a, of a penitent, because even after the worst has been thrown at me, I'm still not willing to um to, to to let go. Right. So so, but I think what Sforna was saying is that God was hoping for a different outcome. God didn't want to force it from the very beginning. That's that phrase, below, I don't want I don't want it to let, let I don't want it to be the situation that He's going to let you go only because I forced Him. I would rather Pharaoh learn something. You would say in Talmudic language, kamash malan. Unfortunately, the story teaches us that Pharaoh was unable or Pharaoh was unwilling, as some people are.
6: Well, I I think you have to, I mean, I don't want to uh, give Pharaoh any credit, but you can see that from a point of view of an absolute ruler, if he allows one people to get out of slavery, where he has other slaves, many other slaves, um, he yeah. doesn't want to encourage them, so it's kind of an impossible situation for for Pharaoh or for any absolute ruler, of course. Uh, yeah. They want power, and that's that's the uh, they have a hard time relinquishing.
1: If, 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 I mean, let's just say it even more plainly if you're a slave owner, right? Letting if someone if, if you will allow one of your slaves to go, then oh my, they might all go.
6: Yeah, well, that was right? their. Their fear—that was people. Of course, fear. Oh. Of course, you know, you go into history, and there were yeah. some people who did let their, some of this go, or all of them. But in a sense, if somebody wants to be a tyrant and and is so afraid of his system falling apart, then there's really no hope for him relenting in one part. Yeah. But that's you know, that's. The- <sighs>
1: Um, I was going to give Gabrielle the last word, but I saw Devorah's hand up, and I and I, I love uh, that you're part of this conversation, Devorah. So, Devorah, if you, please, please unmute and, and say what you are going to say, and then we'll we'll conclude, if you're still there.
4: I'm still here, and I'm getting a little frustrated because I think we're tiptoeing around what you want to present with how okay. we're living now, okay? We have a leader that told lies, 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 and lies, and he had his supporters, and God did not interfere, and we were feeling powerless. And when this leader lost his voice, and he was taken off of Twitter, so to speak, he suddenly felt that he had a loss of power. And I think that that was the the defining moment in our society when um, a leader wanted to be an author and wanting to be an authoritarian, but realizing that we definitely do live in a democracy. And and I think that was the turning point, whether God had a hand in that. I don't know because right. I think God does have a hand, but not always because we have free will. That's and right. And those things happen because the people are in control. And when he lost that voice, he seemed to have lost his control. And I think we've been tipping toeing around this because it seems to me that when you started your drosh, you started it because of the times that we're living in. And no one was willing to relate to that. And I was becoming a little frustrated.
1: Thank you, Dvorah. Every every teaching of Torah and every verse of the Torah can be a Rorschach test, right? That that people see it see it. In a particular shape, and they're, and they're certain and adamant that the exact shape that it is. And and I, and I appreciate your comments and your contribution. I actually in, intended for this to be a conversation in intentional generalities um, about important things, about the limits of power, about the hopes that a God-present world, a world in which God is present, is that even pharaohs amongst us, and there are pharaohs in the world, um, will... Will, will eventually be brought to Tshuva without the worst um, and, and, and the most severe of punishments brought, brought down in them beforehand. I do like the idea that God wanted to spare even a pharaoh from the worst of punishments. He couldn't otherwise. God couldn't. Um, but let, let's let's have it kind of end here as we're all thinking about the ways in which this notion of the universe sometimes inviting us um to change our ways and move in a more just um, direction originally sometimes begins with a nudge and then it becomes with a push and we should we should listen earlier on rather than wait for the final blow
0: you have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from temple beth on a dynamic center for conservative judaism in los angeles